this series is built on an assumption. Actually, all of our series are built on assumptions, assumptions about who God is and what the, about the word and those kinds of things, assumptions, convictions, beliefs, etc. But this is actually built on some assumptions about you, right? And here's the assumption that we're having, that every single one of us who are in here, primarily, we really want to learn to live life well. Let me put this another way. The assumption is that nobody in this room gets up in the morning and say, yes, another day to become a bigger loser today. You know, that we wake up in the morning and say, yes, another way I, I, I can figure out to make a bigger mess out of my finances or I can make, find a way to make a bigger mess out of my relationship or make a bigger mess out of, of, of you know, of, of, of my marriage and my parenting. We, we don't do that, do we? You know, it's not like we wake up in the morning and say, yes, another opportunity to become a bigger waste product than I was yesterday. We just don't do those things. Somewhere deeply rooted within us is a desire to live life well. Now, what that looks for, like for each one of us can be different, but fundamentally there's this desire to live life well. And really coming out of Easter, we think this is a really timely series. You know, in in Easter, what we celebrate is that God has set us free from an old way of life. And in Christ, he's opened us up to a new way of life. And we want to live that life well. So we're going to start in a series in the book of Proverbs. And if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to to the book of Proverbs. um, And and if you don't usually bring your own Bible to worship, this might be a great series to do that because it's just an opportunity for you to maybe circle some verse numbers as we go through and, and that kind of thing. Or it's a chance for you to write a little bit in the margins, some, some life points that you really want to capture and keep with you. But if you didn't happen to bring a Bible, we do have one underneath your seat. We'd love for you to get that out and actually be able to read the printed word for yourself as I read it to you in a couple places. And the text today is on page 532. It's the book of Proverbs, and it's right after the book of Psalms. Psalms is the largest book in the Old and New Testament combined, and it's usually right smack dab in your Bible, and just after it is the book of Proverbs. And we're going to be in the book of Proverbs for a number of different, for, for, for this whole series. Now, Proverbs is kind of an interesting book. I'm going to talk about it a little bit before I read the, our verses for today. And in fact, I would encourage you to, to grab your note page on the back of your handout and to take notes. And for a couple reasons. One is that studies tell us that by 6 o'clock tonight, you're going to forget 85% of what you've heard today. So you're going to, forget, you're going to just totally forget 85% of the next 25 minutes. So what is that? You're going to remember about four or five minutes out of what I'm, I'm going to speak about. So, and they do say if you write it down, you are 11 times more likely to remember it than if you just read it or hear it. So I encourage you to write some stuff down. And, and underneath our title here where it says Proverbs, Timeless Truths for Morning Livings, you can just put the next caption is Beginnings. The Beginnings of Wisdom. And we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 1 through Proverbs chapter 3 today. And we're going to look specifically at verses 1 through 7, which I'm going to read in a minute from chapter 1. But first of all, we need, we need to kind of figure out what Proverbs is like a little bit. Because Proverbs is, is really kind of a unique book in the Bible. You know, w- w- there's a lot of different books in the Bible. In fact, actually, originally, the Bible was 66 separate books. And it got all compiled into one book. 
And we have a tendency to read it like it's a single book. But that'd be like you having a hundred different books on your Kindle and reading them all exactly the same. So you read the fiction and the history and the dictionaries and et cetera, and you say, this is all the exact same type of literature. It's not. They're different. You just happen to have it in a single device. Our Bible is actually 66 books that God gave us over a period of time, and now they've been compiled all together into a single book, and they're very different. We have narratives, right? Genesis, Exodus. They tell us a story about how God is working in history. Same with the Gospels. They tell us a story. This is the life of Christ. We have others that are more like letters. We have what the, in the New Testament, we have what we call the epistles, right? The epistle to the Romans, with the epistle to, to uh, the first and second Corinthians, and etc. We also have epistles in the Old Testament. A lot of the, the prophet, the prophetic writings were actually messages that were spoken directly to the people at that time. They were, they were letters, spoken letters, and then written letters to the people of their ages. But when you come to the book of Proverbs, you have something that's really kind of totally unique. Because the book of Proverbs is just a, just a string of different statements, and they're not necessarily gathered by subject matter. You know, I, I, am, I, am, not, I am not in any way, uh, shape, or form, have a sense of, of, of compulsion to have everything organized. You know, I, I, I can live with chaos. You can ask my wife. I can live with chaos. And I love change and et cetera, all that kind of stuff. But I got to tell you, when I come to the book of Proverbs, sometimes I find it frustrating. Because I, I wish it would be, okay, let's, let's put everything you have to say about money under chapter 3, right? Let's have everything you have to say about how to use language and speech under chapter 4. Let's put everything you have to say about parenting under chapter 5. and Everything you have to say about making wise choices and succeeding in life, chapter 6. I'd love to have them all packaged together, right? Well, he just didn't have any interest in doing that. They're just spread out everywhere. You know, and you can find some of that in chapter 1 and some in 10 and some in 16 and whatever. And there are 31 chapters in Proverbs. So what we're going to do on Sunday mornings is we're going to unpack it by subject matter. And we, we, you know, this series may grow to as many as 14 or 15 installments as we move along, and, and Steve and I will be bringing it to you. Um, but I want, so that's what we're going to do on Sunday mornings, but I want to challenge you to read through the book chapter by chapter. And I'm just going to give you a little simple formula. So this is my challenge to you, is that, you know, the book of Proverbs has 31 chapters. A lot of our months have 31 days in it, right? So what I want to challenge you to do is just just read the chapter in Proverbs that corresponds with what day of the month it is. So today's the 23rd. What chapter would you read? Boy, you guys are smart. You know, and, and if you miss a day, just jump in on the right day, right? You know, and for those of you who just can't, oh, we can't leave out chapter 31, you know, in the month that only has 30 days, you're welcome to read chapters 30 and 31 at the same time. You know, it, the chapter 31 is about the ideal woman and how she takes care of her family and all that kind of stuff and, and et cetera. And, and, you know, and all the women at Hope Chapel are just like that. So we don't really need to read that very anomaly. Yeah. Anyway, so, um, so that's my challenge to you is, is, is just, just start on chapter 23 and start reading through. So, well, Mr. You know, it, all, it just keeps going, right? It keeps going. And I want to challenge you to do this until the end of the summer. So you'll actually read through the book of Proverbs three or four times between now and the 1st of September. Because, you know, it, it takes a chance to kind of keep sowing it into ourselves. But, so we're going to launch into the book of Proverbs today. And let me just read verses 1 through 7 for us as we get started. And then I want to come back and maybe you can use the top third of your note page and take notes on, on these three things. 
It is the who, it is the what, and it is the why. Who wrote it, what did he write, and why did he write it? That's what we're going to look at. And you're going to see that in these, in these seven verses, right? And then from there, I'm going to move on to providing some foundations or some beginnings about how to really have wisdom as we see it here. So verse 1 of chapter 1, page 532, the book of Proverbs. The Proverbs of Solomon... Son of David, king of Israel. For gaining wisdom and being instructed. For understanding insightful sayings. For receiving wise instruction in righteousness and justice and integrity. For teaching shrewdness to the inexperienced. Knowledge and discretion to a young man. I used to think of myself as a young man. Can't do that anymore. A wise man will listen and increase his learning, and a discerning man will obtain guidance. For understanding a proverb or a parable, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Now, the first question I really want us to struggle with or answer is, is who, who wrote our book? And the answer comes right out of verse 1. And the answer is Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Now, Solomon is in many ways uniquely qualified to write this book for us. I mean, there's many places we could turn in the scriptures to find about how to live life well, to gain wisdom. But the book of Proverbs is specifically kind of set aside for us to be a place for us to learn how to do faith in real time. To translate what we know about God, who we are, the way God operates, to translate in that into the way that we actually do life every single day of the week. The way we handle our business practices, our money, our relationships, our marriages, our decision-making, our tongues. It gives us very practical advice, and Solomon is uniquely qualified to give us that information. Now, a little bit about Solomon. Solomon is a son of David. David was the second king of Israel. There was Saul, King Saul. Then it was King David. And then after David was Solomon. Um, David had many sons, but Solomon was the oldest son of his relationship with Bathsheba. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. And David chose Solomon to be his successor as the king. And Solomon actually probably was the most successful, prolific, efficient king that Israel ever had. The nation had a greater sense of glory, more international influence, greater peace, more wealth, etc., under Solomon than any other king in the history of Israel. And, and he served for a long time as the king. Now, the reason why Solomon is so qualified to be the one who gives us these words of wisdom by which to live our lives is because Solomon actually asked God to do exactly that. If you want to look at, at, um, at, the, at the beginning of his reign in the narrative books, and these come out of, um, and I want to make sure I give you the right reference, because um, I messed up one reference in the first service. Uh, <laughs> this comes out of, of, of 1 Kings chapter 3, and it also comes out of the book of 2 Chronicles, the first and the second chapter. Solomon 
followed David. So when David dies, Solomon becomes the king. And, and not too long into his journey, God shows up to Solomon and he says, you know what? I'm prepared to give you whatever you ask for. I, I, I've signed a blank check. What do you want to write it in for? And Solomon could have asked for a lot of different things. He could have asked, you know what, God, just make me really just filthy rich. You know, just make me wealthy. Make the nation prosperous, you know. And, all, and I'm gonna, so he could have asked for that. He didn't ask for that. He could have said, you know what, there, there's still a lot of enemies around us. The, the sword never left my father's reign as a king. We were always fighting with somebody. Just, just give me victory and just, just give us peace. Could have asked for that. He could have said, you know what, it wouldn't be bad to live a long time and to live well. Just give me a long, good life. He could have asked for any of those things. And God said, you know what, you could have asked for those things. But Saul, that's not what Solomon asked for. You know what Solomon asked for? He said, you know what? He said, these are your people, leading your people, guiding your people, serving your people. I, I, can't, I, I can't do that. I need your wisdom. So what I want to ask for you is for you to make me wise. Give me your judgments. Show me how to do what's right on a moment-by-moment basis as I live my life out before you as the king of Israel. He asked for wisdom. And so he's uniquely qualified to give us the fruits of that, that prayer request that God granted him and he shares that fruit with us. Now, not all of it comes from, from Solomon. Some of it are pieces that he recognized that God has spoken through people beforehand, and he compiles it all together. But what we get in the book of Proverbs is the outflow of God's answer to Solomon's prayer, that he be made wise, that he be given God's judgment, and with that we have the word of God that we can rely on and build our lives about. Now, some of you are saying, you know what? The ship on being wise sailed a long time for me. You know, I've made a lot of mistakes, messed stuff up. There's no going back. I, I, I want you to see in Solomon that it's really never too late. Start today, move forward, living wise before God. Let me give you a couple of examples. First of all, he said he's, we're introduced to Solomon, the son of David. Some of you know the backstory of this relationship between David and Bathsheba, right? David and Bathsheba is a relationship that it should have never happened. Bathsheba was married to one of David's generals, a guy by the name of Uriah. The nation was at war, as they always were under David, and he just got tired of the battlefront. He had decided to stay in the city, and he's up on the, on the rooftop, King David is, and in the heat of the day, just trying to stay cool and et cetera, and he's looking out over his city, and on a rooftop, not too far over, there's a woman who's taken a ceremonial bath. Part of the Old Testament law was that when a woman had her monthly cycle, when it was over, she was supposed to take a ceremonial bath, and then she could kind of re-enter community again, if you will. So she's taking her ceremonial bath, and David notices her. Now, the right thing to do would have been, oh, shouldn't look at that. But what David does is, hey, bring my telescope. And, and, he, and, he, and, and he, he's attracted to this woman, and he has her brought to his house, and he sleeps with her. And she gets pregnant. And so David says, you know what, let's not, let's, let's not let this get out of hand here. We need to do, some, we need to do some, um, some spin and control of this situation. So he calls Uriah back from the front. Uriah is a man of integrity. He won't go into his wife while his men are still out of the battlefront. So he can't use that. So even though David gets him drunk, 
right? He still won't go into his wife. And so David sends him out to the front with orders that Uriah is supposed to lead a risky mission. And as soon as they engage the enemy, everybody is supposed to fall back and Uriah gets killed. David takes Bathsheba into his house and he marries her. And the child that's born from that illicit relationship dies. And out of that relationship, the next child that comes is Solomon. But only because David confessed, was willing to admit and confess his lack of living wisely and recommit himself to living as the man that God wanted him to be. And with that, Solomon rose up to be a man of great wisdom. Solomon himself got off to a rocky start. I mean, he's starting out as a new king and and right out, of the, right out of the bat, he makes three major mistakes. And God still grants him grace. So no matter how many mistakes you've made, God's still in a position to grant you strength and grace. Again, from the other accounts, let me just give them to you real quickly because we're going to run out of time. Is, is one is, is um, that, one, he, he, he enters into a treaty with Egypt. In other words, in order for, be, for us to be secure, we've got we to trust in another nation. God said, I never want you to do that. I want you just to trust in me. So he's already violated one thing. Secondly, he marries the daughter of Pharaoh to solidify that relationship. So Pharaoh is like the king of, of, of Egypt, different term, that kind of thing. But, but, and, and, and with that, the daughter of Pharaoh would be like an ambassador, and she would be allowed to practice her culture in the city of Jerusalem the way she would in Egypt. She would bring idolatry with her. And so he marries an idolater, somebody who's not worshiping or following God. That's off, though, anathema in God's eyes. On top of that, the Scripture says he's worshiping on the high places. And these are places where, you know, where, where the, 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 the peoples, the, the, the pagan people, the heathen people, the idolaters who lived in the land before the Israelites came in, it's where they used to worship God. It's places where they used to just engage in all kinds of just gross sexual immorality in the name of, of religion. And they used to sacrifice children. To the gods. And God said, I don't want you worshiping there. And he's up there worshiping there. He's got three strikes against him. He's going in the wrong direction. He's acting like an idiot in the eyes of God. And God shows up and says, what do you want from me? He says, you know, I don't want to be an idiot. I want to live wise. So that's who we have to learn from. What is it that we're learning? And that, look, at, look, at, look at verse 1. Our time is really running away from us here because I'm having too much fun talking about this stuff. Chapter 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon. So who wrote it was Solomon. What he gave to us was Proverbs, right? What is a proverb? <clears throat> I, I, I kind of think of them like 10th century B.C. tweets, right? You know, they're just short, little, pithy statements. You know, only get, what, 140 characters? I have never tweeted in my life, so I don't really know what I'm talking about. But, but you know, uh, and, and, but these are, these are short statements about the way life usually works best. That's what these are. And he gives us proverbs. Now, we have modern-day proverbs, right? Like, crime doesn't pay, you know, that kind of idea. You know, better safe than sorry. You know, we have those kind of things. They had proverbs back in, 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 in the ancient world as well. And this is a collection of statements about the way that life generally works best in the eyes of God. Now, what I try to point out to the first service, and, and let me just do this quickly here. You need to make sure you make a distinction between a proverb 
and a promise. Because sometimes I think we come to a proverb, like the proverbs we're going to see here, and we assume that they are promises. That means it always works that way. It doesn't, that's not the truth. Now, there are some promises in the book of Proverbs, for sure. There certainly are some foundational truths, things that are always true. But it doesn't mean that every single proverb is a promise that's going to come to pass. Let me just give you a couple quick examples. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Proverb that almost every parent claims, right? Train up a child in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it, right? Does that always turn out to be true? Sometimes our children grow up, they move out of the house, they're independent adults, which is what we do, and, and they say, you know, I don't want to have anything to do with that anymore. So it is, so that doesn't mean, you know what, it doesn't matter how I train them, I might as well just teach my kid to be a, a waste from the very beginning. Obviously, that doesn't make any sense, right? So this is still a general rule about the best way to live life before God. This is what usually works best. You lay a foundation of honesty and hard work and integrity and responsibility and treating other people right and respectful and et cetera, and of faith. And, and you just, you, you, you know that's the best way to go about it. And, and, and the hope and prayer is, and the general reality is when they are old, it's going to have an impact and it's going to guide your life and it's going to make your life better. You know, there's, a, there's another promise and in, in, uh, there's another uh, proverb. It says, you know, you know, honor the Lord with your possessions. It says, and your barns will be overflowing and your vats will be full. You know, and a lot of times that happens. If we, if we are good stewards of what God's given us, then the rest of our financial lives fall into place. But that doesn't always happen. Sometimes we really honor God with, our, with, what, with what we have, the material possessions and the income, et cetera. We're doing what we're supposed to. Sometimes the, root, the, the bottom just falls out. And it doesn't work out that way. But that doesn't mean, well, you know, it's useless then to try to give it. It's still a general rule, but it's not always a promise, right? And I wish I could go into that more, but I got to leave that aside. So, so we have the who, Solomon. We have the what. We have Proverbs, general statements about the best way to live life before God. They're not promises, but they are God's guidance to us on how to live life. And the last thing is, is the why. And, and let me just do this quickly. Just look what he says here. He he basically, I'm writing these things for three categories of people. One, and you see this in, um, as we move down in here, verse 4, for the inexperienced and for the young. But I'm also writing it for the learned and discerning man. So I, I'm writing this as, as primary instruction for the first time around, and I'm writing this as continuing educational training. And, and my goal is to teach you instruction about righteousness, justice, and integrity, shrewdness, knowledge, and etc. That's what he's doing. That's why he's writing these things to us. He's trying to help us learn from those who have learned before us about what it really means to do what's right in the eyes of God in every single moment of our spiritual journeys. Another way, and I heard a guy describe it this way, it's like avoided, he's trying to say, you know what, other people already paid the dumb tax, so you don't have to pay it over again. Other people have already lived life, messed it up, learned from it, boiled it down into the truth that we can build our lives on, and you don't have to go back and learn all those lessons all over again. So listen to my instruction. Listen to my guidance. Avoid the dumb tax, right? You know, I, I had that problem this week, you know, I... 
my wife has told me before there's poison ivy around one of our flower beds in the, in the front yard, which we are now trying to kill because I just want to plant gas and mow it. I don't like weeding it. But, you know, and even though she had gotten poison ivy in the past and had paid the dump, dump tax, I got my fair share as well, right? So that's why I'm wearing long sleeves today, you know. And, and, and so, you know, we can learn from those who are going before. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to teach those who already think they're wise so they can become wiser and those who are just beginning the journey, just figuring this stuff out, etc. Now, all right. So that's the who, what, and why. Let me just give you, I just want to give you two foundational pieces related to the beginnings of wisdom that come right up to us out of this text. Okay, now, it's verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools, remember, we've already agreed we don't have any fools in the room. We don't have anybody who walks up in the morning saying, you know what, I want to be dumber by the end of the day than when I started. We don't have anybody in this room who says that's my objective. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So I'm moving very quickly here, but the first foundation of wisdom for all of us, and let me put it this way, it is the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord that leads to following after God. Let me say that again so you can write it down. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord that leads to following after God. Because I would connect with this verse in verse 7. The beginning of wisdom is, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. I would connect that over to uh, chapter 3, verse 5, where it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean on unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge. In all your ways, follow him, and he will direct your paths. It is a, it is a fear of the Lord that leads to following after God. Now, we need to process this word fear just a little bit because it really doesn't fit our 21st century concept of God, right? We, we have this idea that God is, is loving and gracious and he's our father. You know, we just pray to prayer that Jesus taught us, valid, clear. You know, our father who art in heaven, you know, we, we, we hear Jesus crying from the cross as we study, you know, daddy, Abba, father, you know, that we, we, we see this kind of intimacy. So, and so we, we have this idea, well, what? What can it really mean then to fear God? You know, because I'm not afraid of God kind of idea because God's our, our loving father. And, and, and part of the reality that we need to understand is that the scripture often has two sides of the coin. And if you don't understand both sides of the coin, you just don't get it. Let me give you an example. We believe in the sovereignty of God. God is absolutely positively in control. Everything's been predetermined. God knows what's going to He's got all the authority. On the other side, he says, you better live wise. You better make choices with the responsibility, with the decision with the, that I've given you, the privilege. So God's in control, but somehow or another, I have to make a lot of choices to be wise. There's two sides of the coin, right? Human responsibility, personal responsibility, and the sovereignty of God. They don't seem to go together, but in God's ways, those two things are, the same, are two sides of the same coin. When you get to this concept of God, and again, we live in a culture that, you know, we think of, we love to create our own ideas of who God is, pick and choose, put it together, and then we go from there. I mean, we actually recently, in, you know, in the last year or two, we, we had an individual who was attending Hope Chapel, this, you know, and, 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 we, and they stopped coming, 
So we reached out to them. And this is the feedback we got. I said, well, when I started coming to Hope Chapel, my life was really in crisis. And I spent about a year with you guys, but now things are going well. So I don't really need God anymore. But when my life starts to fall apart again, I'm sure I'll be back. So, uh, I was, you know, so, so you get this out. It's a loving father. When I need him, he'll be there to bail me out. But on the other side, you got this word that says, fear the Lord. You know, Peter, who probably knew Jesus better than anybody, right, who was Jesus' personal favorite, he wrote to his people in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, says, you know what, if you're going to call God daddy, you better live your life with fear throughout your time here on the planet. So what you get is just picture on one side is God saying, Come to me boldly. I'm your loving, gracious dad. I've done everything I made it possible for you to have a relationship with me. On the other side of the coin is God saying, don't mess with me. Because you'll pay the price. Don't mess with me. You'll pay the price. And, 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 and Jesus is he's telling his disciples in Matthew chapter 10. They're going out on one of their first mission trips, and he's giving them a lot of sin. He says, you know what? You're going to get out there in a moment, and you're going to have to choose who you fear more said, you're going, to have, you're going to have to choose between those who can kill you with a sword or you're going to have to choose or fear the one who can send your body and your soul to hell forever. Which one are you going to fear? Now, does that sound like a light, loving, gracious God who says, yeah, you know, it doesn't really matter what you do. See, I, one of the things I, I think we've done in, 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 in the 21st century related to our trust in God is that we, we, have, we have connected accepting God's grace as being the same thing as presuming God's grace. And those are not the same thing. The Bible repeatedly calls upon us to accept the grace of God, to be forgiven, to be made whole, to become a child of God and move forward. The Bible never, ever, ever encourages us to presume on the grace of God. Say, I can do this because God's going to forgive me tomorrow says, if you're doing that, you're in deep trouble. It never encourages us to presume on the grace of God. You know, I, I, and, and, and we encounter this, you know, and I don't have a lot of time to go into detail, but, but you know, we, we encounter people. So, well, you know, I, I, I believe the Bible where it talks about God's love and forgiveness and I'm going to heaven and all those kinds of things, but there's a lot of stuff in the Bible I, I just don't agree with. So I, I just, I'm just not going to do that. And, and, and God will just forgive me for it. You know, I'm going to err on the side, you know, kind of thing. It's, 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 and we presume upon the grace of God. And you know what? We're never going to live with wisdom if we don't have a fear of the Lord that leads to actually following, obeying what God has told us to do. Those two things go together. I got to do this last one fast. The second truth I want to give you about the beginnings of wisdom is that you have to really work for it. You have to pursue, pursue. You got to desire. You got to really want wisdom. So, I gave a I gave a reference to the, to the first service that was wrong. So let me give you the right one, and we'll go from there. And I'm way behind on my notes. Look at Proverbs chapter eight, verse ten. If you got it open, or you can just write this down. Notice what he says here. He says, in in Proverbs chapter eight, verse ten. Flowing into verse 11. This is Solomon now, and, and, and Sol- some of what Solomon was writing, he was really writing to pass on to his son who's going to become the king after him, and he blew it, actually. He lost, in one week's time, he lost 10 out of the 12 tribes. He said, he writes this, accept my instruction instead of silver. 
and knowledge rather than pure gold. For wisdom is better than precious stones, and nothing desirable can compare with it. You get over in verse, chapter 2, verse 4. He says, if you seek it like silver, silver and search for it like hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. And he, here's what the statement I want to make to you. Discovering and learning and living out God's wisdom is not easy. You know, the only reason why gold and silver and precious jewels and, 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 and the only reason they're, they're priceless, they're valuable, is because they're hard to get your hands on. They're scarce. They're scarce. I mean, if, if we had silver growing in our yards, right, you just go out and cut your grass, get, you know, collect it in the bucket, and you, you got a couple, couple, you know, you got a couple hundred pounds of silver, what do you think it would be worth? It'd be like, worth like plastic, right? Because we just have it in abundance everywhere. You know, it, it, a couple of years ago, Christina and I had the privilege of, of going on a, um, a trip to Alaska with, with, with his extended family. And we took one of these train rides up into the mountains. And while we're going, they're pointing out to the areas where these are the guys where the guys climbed through these passes to get to where the mines were to get the gold. And I'm thinking, I would never climb. It wouldn't be worth it to me. You know, and it's just tremendous amounts of effort. And I got to tell you, if we want to have wisdom, somehow I think we, see, we get up in the morning and say, God, make me wise today. And we think, you know what? But, you know, God, I don't want to sweat. So I want this to be kind of like getting on the treadmill and I'll walk like at 1.5. I want there to be a lemonade there, good show on the television, and I might do 20 minutes. No, I'll give you 22 minutes. No, 25 minutes. You know, we, we, we just want it to be easy. And, and it doesn't happen that way. It doesn't happen that way. It takes digging to get there. You know, Jesus, you know, we, we, we love the quote from the Sermon on the Mount where he says, you know, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you'll still find. Knock and the door shall be open to you. And somehow we, got, we, we get this impression, well, you know, I just have to ask once. It's going to come. And I, all I got to do is just search for it for a few minutes and I'm going to find it. All I got to do is knock on the door a couple times and it's going to open. Those verbs are ask. Keep on asking. Ask today, ask tomorrow, ask the day after, ask next week, next month, next year, next decade. Ask, 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 ask. You got to keep plugging at it. Seeking, same thing, present tense verb. Seek, seek tomorrow, seek in the morning, seek in the middle of the day, seek in the afternoon, seek in the night, seek the next morning. Seek, 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 seek. Knock, you got to knock, you got to keep knocking, you keep knocking until your neighbor gets so irritated with you, he gets up and opens the door, gives you what you want in the middle of the night. Jesus told a parable about that kind of thing. You got, you got to stay at it. You got to pursue it. It doesn't come easy. You, you got to long for it more than you do gold and silver and precious jewels. And you got to put your life investment in it. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord that leads to following after God. And it's worth all the energy and takes all the energy that we can expend to make it happen. I really think that this series we're getting ready to get into could be one of the most powerful ones that God's ever had in the 15 years that we've had at Hope Chapel. And it's not because I'm a great preacher or because Steve's a great preacher, but it's because of the stuff we're going to study is just that practical, that real. So again, I extend an invitation to you. One, read a chapter in Proverbs every single day. Read it, reread it for the next three, four months. Um, one of the guys I listened to this week said he did this for 17 years. 
He read a chapter out of Proverbs every single day for 17 years, in addition to all his other readings. Read. Secondly, come at it by faith. Because it's only by faith that we find ourselves in a position where we really fear the Lord that leads to following after him. And third is work at it. Don't, don't say, man, this is harder than I thought it was going to be. You know, I think I'll just study. Keep pursuing. Be dogged at it. Be determined. You really have to pursue it and pursue it hard. And if we do that, God will indeed grant us understanding on how to live well before him. Let's pray together for just a minute. Thanks for your patience today. I'm blaming the length of the service on the music, not the sermon. God, thanks for the way you spoke to us today because I know you've spoken to me. God, we want to live well. We want to live well. We know you want us to live well. And you've given us everything that we need, your presence and your Proverbs on how to just do that. So God, use this series as we commit ourselves to you in faith in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite our worship team to come, and we're going to conclude our service with a song. And uh, also we'll be collecting our offering if you want to make a gift. So let's stand together. And...